Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, and welcome to the Ask the Industry podcast, episode 95. For those of you new to the show, I'm comedian Simon Kane, and this is the podcast where I interview the most influential people from the worlds of stand-up, comedy, radio, and today, the live circuit. Maureen Younger is the, well, the founder of my comedy, but it was previously known as something else, and we get into why it was rebranded and what she took over and why in the episode. So I won't get into that too much. What you need to know for the intro is that she runs exclusively female-only comedy nights, and we get into gender in comedy, why female comedy nights and competitions exist, whether they still need to exist, the perception from the general public, her experiences with sexism on the circuit, both from comedians, promoters, and audiences, and why she continues to raise money for charities and do gigs that are 100% female lineups. I thought it was really interesting as a male comedian who obviously has never done a female-only lineup. I found a frank conversation about quotas and about promoting comedy nights that are not, I don't want to say they're not themed, but they are a specific type of comedy night. So it's not just here comes a comedian, here comes a comedy night, let's advertise that. It's here comes a comedy night of X, Y, and Z. Or in this case, here comes a lineup of all XX, if we're going to talk to them in terms of chromosomes. I think you'll get a lot out of this, even if you're a male comedian and you're never likely to do her night. I think it's a really interesting discussion and it's right for debate and a conversation that I think definitely needs to happen more. And I'm not talking about, by the way, the conversation of our women funny. I'm hoping, I'm hoping anyone that listens to this isn't ever asking that question because clearly, yes, they are. But I think the discussion of the history of women in comedy and the history of all women nights in comedy is very important to have. And I found this really interesting. So I won't say much more. All I'll say is if you're new here, please hit that subscribe button. If you're old here, please give us an honest review on iTunes. And either way, if you could join the Facebook group, that would be really appreciated. Happy New Year, everyone. Forgot to say that. Just realized it's New Year. Forgot about that. It's been over a week. It's... uh. It's already in the back of my mind. Happy New Year. Hope you had a wonderful time. Hope the gigs over the Christmas period with Christmas parties was not too horrible. Before I forget, our first ever day of panels is coming up on the 17th of February. It's from midday till 5pm and it's at the Bill Murray in Angel. It's specifically for people who are doing their first hour at the Edinburgh Festival or who are looking at going up and doing their first show at the Edinburgh Festival. Personally, I think a lot of people are going to get a lot out of this and it's going to provide a lot of answers and debunk a lot of myths. 
come down with your questions. There'll be three panels. There'll be one that includes a bunch of venue owners where you can ask them stuff about how they run, how they operate, how to know what room to pick with them, how to avoid pitfalls that they've seen people make time and time and time again. I'm also going to have one with a bunch of PRs, which allow you to ask them exactly what they do for you, exactly what they won't do for you, exactly when to approach them, how to approach them, what not to do, all the, the stuff that you're used to with this podcast, but you can ask your own questions directly. And in between every panel, there'll be time to mingle and chat. It's in the Bill Murray in Angel in London. I'm sorry if you're abroad. I, I can't help the, the location of where I live. But um, as I said, it will be recorded. If you buy a ticket, you'll get a free copy of that recording. If you're a patron, you'll also get a free copy of that recording. If you want to buy a copy of that recording, it'll be on sale a few months after the day itself. So please do keep an eye out for that. Tickets are £20. There's a link in the show notes. And I'm doing it as a profit share for me and all the guests, which means that they can have a bit of money to cover their expenses like travel and food and all that stuff they're basically doing it because they believe in this podcast they believe in the event and they believe that this is a good thing to have a dialogue with people the bill murray and the angel team are really supportive as well and i actually have plans assuming this one goes well to do the same thing again but for the tv industry where i'll have a panel of tv commissioners a panel of independent producers and a panel of people who freelance in the industry who have worked in it for more than say 20 years to come down and talk about their job and talk about how you as a writer or a producer or a comedian can break into whatever area you want to. So if you want to support me, you want this to go well, please spread the word. Please tell a friend. If you can't make it, please tell someone who can. That would be really helpful. That would be really appreciated. The event is taking up a lot of my time and it's a lot of effort, but I think it's worth doing because long term, this is going to be something that I'd like to carry on doing more of where we all get a chance to network and talk in a safe and comfortable and lovely environment where it's not really as pressured as normal networking. I hate networking. I want to say that up front. For me, networking is really stressful. So I like being able to just talk to people in an environment where we know why we're there, but we're not like pressured into feeling like we have to talk or that I have this, uh, you know, it, it's just a nicer environment I'm trying to cultivate for people who want to quote unquote network. So if you want to come, it's the 17th of February. It's from midday to 5 p.m. If you have a look on the Facebook event, it'll tell you when the panels are. So if you only want to come to one or two of them, you can. And in between them, there'll be a gap of half an hour, 40 minutes, whatever, where you can talk to people individually, learn about them a bit more and talk to the people that you'll be working with, hopefully for all of August, say next year, but also going forward. I, I personally work with the same people over and over and over again because I know they're decent people. I know they're amazing to work with and I know they're not going to screw me over. So look at this as not a short-term thing if you want. That's all I'm going to say on that event. But do check out the link in the, in the description. It's uh, got a Facebook event and a ticket link. But for now, without any more delays, this is Maureen Younger. So basically I run a gig called My Comedy and originally they were called Laughing Cows London and Laughing Cows Birmingham and I basically stood in as uh, as the resident MC and then I started running the nights and then so then I just became, they just became my nights so now they're called My Comedy and uh, been running them since 2009. I originally was a, a standing MC because the regular MC couldn't come to the London gig and I ended up doing half the opening set, emceeing, and also being the closing act because the uh, headline act didn't turn up. And it went on from there, basically. That's, well, I, it, <laughs> it sounds like you're the most qualified to do all of that. <laughs> it, was, it was funny. It, just ha- it was one of those nights when, you know, in comedy, it just worked. Everything worked. And I had a lot of material to hand because I was going up to Edinburgh. So it was just a fluke that it all went really well. 
And it, I had no interest really in running nights, but mm. then they were going to close them. And I, well, the Birmingham night didn't run. I set that up, but they were going to close the London night. I said, oh, don't close the London night. I'll, I'll just keep it going. And we've been doing that since 2009. Was it an all-female lineup before yeah, you Yeah, I mean, the original the person behind Laughing Cows is Hazel O'Keefe. And it's very different now, but when she set Laughing Cows up, it was set up because she had a discussion with the promoter why there's only one woman on the stage, which in those days was the case. And the guy went, we can't have more than one woman. We couldn't, we couldn't take that risk. And she was so annoyed at that. Um, she said, right, I'm going to run an all-female comedy night. And But, you know, it has changed now in the last couple of years. I've been on quite uh, big bills where, you know, there's only one white male comic on the bill, which that would never have happened when I first started 12 years ago. So that was really a reaction to what was then the situation. And there's a very famous um, comic. So he was a BME act. That's it, the politically correct term. He was a BME um, act, and he uh, he did ask um, once why he was never on stage with a woman. And they said, well, we can't have more than one speciality act on the bill. So <laughs> yeah, it's a serious, serious... Uh, wow. He was seriously told that. And that used to be the case, and now, it, now it's not, thank goodness. Uh, so that was why uh, Laughing Cows was already set up. Obviously, the situation has changed now considerably, particularly in the last couple of years, for the, be- for the, for, for the better. But obviously, um, all female comedy night bills particularly appeal to gay women because they prefer to be in spaces which, if not exclusively, are predominantly uh, women. So um, there's always a, a demand for that kind of. And it's it's nice because you know generally it used to be the case you never used to gig with another female comic unless you were on an all female comedy night. So in the old days it was quite nice because it meant you could see other female comics. <laughs> Because that was the only time you ever saw them, was at either all-female comedy nights or at gay comedy nights, when they would put on more than one woman. Um, so it was just nice meeting up with people. <laughs> but social. It was a bit social backstage, yeah. I mean, again, it's now changed a bit, but uh, it's definitely got a different atmosphere, mm. I think. And, uh, you know, they're fun gigs to run. Yeah. I, so if it so this was 12 years ago when you started, you might yeah. never have been on a bill with another woman? Very rarely, unless it was at Laughing Cows. Right. Or you know, like something like Comedy Camp, which used to run, which was a great gig, and was predominantly for gay men. And uh, gay men like female comics. So, you know, he would, Simon Happily would put on one or two women. You know, I, was, I went to watch a night where there was like, I think, two women on the bill, which was kind of unheard of in those days. So, yeah, you'd never really gig with other female... So you'd, you'd be years and years until you finally meet some other female comic. Go, oh, you were really great, and you hadn't seen them because you'd never be on the same mm. bill with them. It's different when you're an open spot. When you're an open spot, that was all different. But once you start playing the clubs, that's when it used to change. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously the gig's fun to run, and it's, and it's a great night. Yeah. But would you say that all female nights are... Because it sounds like it was needed then, rather yeah. than rather than now where it feels like it's just a fun thing to carry on? Um, I think, well, is it needed? I think, you know, for, for the type of people who come to my audience, they really like it. And it's it's a space where I think that some people come to my nights that wouldn't go to a normal comedy night because they feel that, perhaps rightly or wrongly, the perception might be that they wouldn't be as welcome or it might not be the material that they want to see. Um, so they feel more comfortable coming to my kind of night, that kind of night. So I suppose there's still a need there, uh, perhaps from the audience point of view, but I think from uh, from the kind of women's point of view, because also there was a time years back, um, I can't remember how, how long ago, when the, it was misogyny was quite in. So I don't know if you remember that as, stage. As material or as, as material. Okay. So you know you would you you know I once had to follow a guy who 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 had A3 photographs of mutilated vaginas, which he called flanges, and. Um, he just did this whole spiel about mutilated vaginas called things like spewing chunks. He had all the photos in colour. He'd gone to a lot of effort. 
And then I had to follow that. And the MC, you know, said to me, oh, uh, next act's a female comic. Let's hope she doesn't show us her flange. Let's say it. It didn't go down too well. I made my point felt. But so you you did, you know, you had people talking about rape and, and stuff in, in not particularly clever or funny ways. And it was just pure misogyny. So you had an atmosphere, which I think a lot of my audience wouldn't want to be in that kind of, want to listen to that comedy. Whereas a woman, you don't, you know, if somebody's been talking about rape and then you have to go on, it's just, you know, it doesn't make you feel... Uh, but saying that, you know, you had a lot of women who did rape jokes. Um, some they were some like Hannah Gadsby did a really clever take on it, um, and others not so not so good. Yeah, I think there's the um, I think I think there's a lot of mis- misconceptions in terms of what's uh, a, a female topic for comedy. And yeah, and, yeah, and there is no such you know that's slightly annoys me because um, I don't know if you ever saw Sheila Martin, no. absolutely brilliant comic who just did gags, just did I mean absolutely hilarious gags. And she got accused of being androgynous because she didn't do in commas female topics. And the problem is, uh, you know, there is no, you know, it's, it is annoying because, you know, you will get feedback as a female comic go, oh, you know, your stuff was a bit too female or was too too girly. But nobody go to a bloke, you know, all that all that material about you getting pissed, having a wank, cheating on your girlfriend. It's a bit blokey. Can you talk about, I don't know, knitting? It's it's just, you know, because bloke talk, blokes talking about things is considered normal. Whereas women talking about things is considered abnormal. So, like, the male is the normal and the woman is the abnormal. Or the white male is the normal, but the black act is abnormal. And, but it's not true. It's, it's, everything is just as normal. It just depends on your perspective. And we, we kind of look at it from that, I think, that point of view. I, I don't know if you, you haven't read Simone de Beauvoir, have you, by any chance? No, I haven't <laughs> All right, we'll move on. But it, it's, it's, you know, so I remember what's a cop acting. <laughs> I feel so under-researched for this. Like, do you know what I love? is like normally on, on, on these podcasts, just in case this is the first episode someone's listening to, I tend to play devil's advocate a lot. And I am aware playing devil's advocate in this situation could make me glam off looking massively sexy. <laughs> No, so no, I am, so I am watching what I say no, really carefully. No, but you know, but I had I remember I had a female uh, would be female comic write to me and say, "Oh, I'm I'm not like normal female comics. I don't talk about boyfriends <coughs> and shopping. I'm much more interesting <laughs> than that." Which obviously pissed me off. You can imagine that she got a right answer back. But say like most women don't, most female comics don't talk about boyfriends and shopping. Uh, particularly, a lot of female comics are lesbians, so they you know they never talk about their boyfriends. And it was also the idea she goes, "Oh yeah, I talk about more important subjects." And you think. Well, being, you know, subjects that are supposedly female, I don't know what they are, but why would they be less important? Yeah. I mean, so, you know, there is there was a thing where you always used to get that women always talk about periods. And you're like, I don't know that many comics that do. And if we did, so what? And you think, well, if they could ban comics, male comics to talk about wanking, then half the new comics would probably not be allowed to go on stage. You know, we'd decimate... Decimate, wouldn't we? We'd decimate the open mic circuit overnight. I, I'm not I'm not anti that, to be honest with <laughs> you. I do. I don't remember the last time I did a wank joke. To be honest with you, I, I think I did it twenty fourteen or something. And oh it was, well, well and it done. Was, uh, yeah. Well, no, it was. But you know, there can be. I've got a friend, Adam Fields, who basically does a wank joke. He, he, he I should say. Worried. I should say. And it's really funny. Yeah. This is the thing. I think. I think like when it comes down to rape jokes, for example, if we if we yeah. start with that, because that's. Uh, and again, I'm sorry if it's triggering to anyone listening, because mm. um, that wasn't the way this conversation yeah. was going to start. Um, I think if you do it in an intelligent way and you're and you're punching up. Yeah. Then it's fine, and yeah. I think as as a male comedian, it's very hard to punch up with a rape yeah. joke because 
I'm essentially in the the privileged position yeah, yeah. of not being in in the hierarchy yeah. of, of what patriarchy says. Yeah, that sort of area. Yeah. So for women to do rape jokes, I tend to find them funnier than men. You see, I, the thing is, I've Hannah Gadsby a really clever joke, uh, but she's one of the best comedians around. So I mean, that goes without saying. What I used to get annoyed, you'd get female comics who, you know, the rape joke would be that they got raped and they didn't mind, and I used to get really annoyed about that because you think, well, that's not true. That doesn't. Ha- they thought they were being, I think cutting edge but you think people have been saying that about rape for centuries so you know you're not being cutting edge you're just buying into this kind of thing or or, or stranger rape and all this and so it was just kind of propagating the type of myths about rape anyway it wasn't really um saying anything clever about it and that really annoyed me and then of course once Bridget Christie who's a brilliant comic won her show and feminism became fashionable you had female comics who'd been doing misogynist rape jokes suddenly they were avid feminists and you were like well you went three years ago love and so that you know I mean I've, I've joked about that with other female comics that suddenly you know they kind of forget the kind of jokes they were doing and now they're suddenly all feminists because Brid- Bridget is great I mean I don't think you can't doubt her her, her feminist credentials at all and I, I saw her and I, I admire her because Doing political jokes is really hard, which is why I don't do them. And uh, I avoid them completely. And she's really good at at making something like feminism really funny. I agree with you. Well, here's the thing. I think... Who, who what was it? it? Was Sally Holloway? I think that was the book. Sally Ann Holloway. Yeah. Oh, no, Sally Holloway. Sally yes. Holloway, yeah. She wrote a book about topical comedy. Yes. That I read. That I really liked. The only reason I didn't like it was. Uh, basically it said if you write a joke about a hurricane the next time the hurricane comes out change the name of the hurricane mm. essentially and I don't think that's topical I think that's just you having a, a, a gag generally about hurricanes mm. and I think to write political comedy you you really got to know the politics yes and I really dislike it when comedians pick on how a politician looks because to me that doesn't really feel like you've put any effort in there yeah I know and also when they oh, they'll say something like war is bad and you're like well yeah we know that um, and that's you know it's, that's why you, you admire Chris Rock because Chris mm. Rock's it, he makes things not only does he make things he makes things understandable to people who don't really know that much about politics mm. and that's what you've got to do as a politician Nick Revel's also very good at that and Ian Stone because most of the audience probably aren't as intelligent or as well educated or read as much sounds a bit demeaning to the audience but they're very on the ball and you know I, I'm not as you know I'm not up as okay with politics say as Ian or, or Nick and so it's 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 not only making a joke, but it's making a joke and exp- and, exp- and in such a way that the audience can understand it and find it funny, and that's a trick, mm. which is a skill I do not have. <laughs> yeah, but I do admire it in comics that do. Oh, definitely, definitely. I mean, th- there's a lot of um, it was it was Jill Edwards said that the comedy uh, industry isn't the problem; it's it's actually within within audiences that that don't necessarily. Um, uh, don't necessarily give women as much of a chance when they come out, or there's or there's a delay in the way that they'd be perceived. Do you, do you think it's still? Um, I think that just, that may be the case, um, but th- I think that can be to your advantage. Uh, okay. You know, I do a lot of gigs on the black comedy circuit, and there's so much like you know, I did one at O2, which like you know, two thousand odd people, and I couldn't get in because I didn't think I was a comic at first. You know, like <laughs> you know, I think what do you think some middle-aged white woman has turned up and pretended to get in? Just yeah. you know. I pretend to be a comic. Um, and the assumption, I think, a lot of the time is when people see me is that I won't be, you know, what's this middle-aged white woman doing at a, at a you know, gig that's predominantly black men on the bill? But that can be to your advantage because you actually, you do better, because they've got such low expectations, you can't, you can't fail to do better than what they think. I think to some extent that's true. If an, uh, That was true if an audience saw t- didn't see enough white male faces on a poster, they wouldn't want to come to the gig. That is changing now, definitely changing. But I think there there is an expectation among certain promoters. I've had promoters go to me, oh, you know, you're a, a lot better than I thought you were, had really low expectations. You think, well, what the hell did you book me for? 
I mean, actually say it to your face is a compliment. So I think uh, it's partly the industry. I mean, the industry isn't as, you know, in- comics are speeding as left wing and blah, blah. I think the industry is quite conservative, um, the, people, the, the, uh, the gatekeepers. I think we have to uh, define what we mean by that because I think you, the circuit and TV, for example, are so different, n- not linked anymore. Yeah. I mean, unless you're an agent who is big. You know, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, unless you are that. Hannah or with Chambers whatever. or something. Yes, PBJ or something mm. like that. Um, you know, they're so not linked that I feel like we, we should define... We're talking just about the circuit at this point. Yeah, I think, I, think with, I think the feeling among female comics generally is like if you're trying to get into a bigger club as a female comic, men are given more rope to hang. As in they're given more than chances to Yeah, they're given more chances. So okay. I, think, I, I think to a certain extent that is true, that, you know, when you're a female comic and you... you you know, you're doing an op- a spot it to get to a bigger club. Not only do you have to be good, but you have to really kill the room. Whereas I think, because if, if, if you're if you do okay, it will probably be assumed that was just an okay comic. Whereas I think if you're a, a male comic, a certain male comic, you do okay, they'll probably go, oh, we just had a, you know, just a, didn't have a great gig, but we'll give him another chance. And I think there is that thing that men are given more rope to hang themselves. Again, this is devil's advocate. Okay, I want to make these clear. It's fine. I'm not going to hit you. And, uh, <laughs> okay, um, this is why we're on other side of the table. <laughs> Okay, so I'm, I'm very aware I've got I've got a, a, a podcast coming out with someone who's like quite big in, on, the, on the black circuit, and I'm oh. quite worried about doing the same thing. Where, like, <laughs> I bring them on, and like, just just it's it's okay. So if I looked at it from a, from a from a strictly business point of view, mm. and you would as well because you run a night, yeah. and obviously it's a, a profitable night. As a business, you kind of need to cater to your own audience. Yeah, sure. And your audience, for example, would have a bit of a problem, or maybe maybe not a problem, but would be a bit jarred if like for example you booked me on it for some reason could you see why if for example you were a booker who had historically only booked one female Mm. and they were used to that that they might be that might be why they are slower to yeah, adjust. Yeah, so no, and I understand completely that. I understand that point of view. Yeah. I mean, it, the whole point of the I disagree is, with it. I want to make that clear. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but I don't know whether you should disagree. I think, you know, the whole point of promoting a night is you want to make money. <laughs> There's no point putting on a very, you know, bill where you've got women, you know, perhaps a black act on, whatever, and nobody comes to, comes to the show. That's pointless. And I can understand why promoters did that, because I think there was a feeling that if there wasn't enough white male faces on the bill, people wouldn't come. And you want to get you want to sell bums on seats, so that makes perfect sense. I mean, I did a gig somewhere up north, you know, real working class, I'd say UKIP area. I won't mention it. And I was on the bill. A really great comic, loved her. Bar Pargo was on the bill. I think it was it was basically women and people of colour, and no, not one person turned up to that gig. It was the first night, and they really did need to have white men on that bill to get people in the door. That's what they needed, and it's not right. But you know, if you're a promoter, you have to think on the bottom line. So no, I I don't. I don't, have a, I don't have a problem. I understand why promoters would do that. I specifically avoid booking gigs on days that I know there's a football match on. <laughs> yeah, that sounds make, makes sense. Yeah, um, even if it's a paid thing or what, <laughs> what, even if it's down the road from me, I'm like, you know what, I will stay. I don't like football. It's not I'm staying in yeah, to watch FA it. Yeah, FA Cup or something. Yeah, It's not worth it. Do you ever research gigs and go, you know what, that area was heavily UKIP and, and it's their first gig, I might not do it? Oh, no, I don't research gigs that much. I'm far too lazy for that. I'm far too lazy to be that. No. <laughs> I, just, I, just I mean, you know, there are gigs when you turn up and you're like, oh, I should really have a proper job. Or you wish you had done research, mm. you know. I mean, I, I, I got told, anyway, I got mis- misled. I got told the gig was somewhere and it was somewhere else. And then once I went there, you could just tell and you were like, oh, this is not going to work. So no is the answer. I probably should. Do you do you believe in quotas then on TV? You know, like where they say one woman should be on every panel show. Um, I'd like it to be a situation where it's not even an issue. 
Right. I mean, they are making more of an effort. You can tell they're making more of an effort um, to put women on and, um, you know, uh, BME comics on, which I think is good. I don't know about quotas because I don't think any female comic or any BME comic wants to be on a, on a show because they filled a quota. They want to be on there because they're good. And that's why they want to be on there. I mean, I wouldn't want to be picked because, you know, they've got to, they've got to tick a box. I want to be on there because they think I'm funny enough. Do you... Because for me, it always strikes as more insulting than, than complimentary to just mm. even have the quota mm. because it sort of implies we wouldn't have booked it any... You know what I mean? Well, I think they probably wouldn't. That's the problem. No, or they no. would have booked the same acts, you know, this... Yeah, I mean, but, but then there's that thing of there are certain there are certain people who are very good at panel shows yeah you know and for example holly walsh if we're going to name a female comedian i think she's amazing on panel shows right but there are certain people who are just not good on panel shows and i'm not going to name those but like but also i suppose it depends experience isn't it It depends how you know if you've been doing it a lot of times Mm. it's like anything it's like stand-up you get better the more hopefully you get better the more you do so it's it's having that access and also i think there's a thing uh, with certain panel shows that are very trying to get your word in edgeways. And there's a, I don't know that's true because I don't fit that category where men are perhaps better at doing that than women. But I've never been like that because I'm, I, you know, there's this theory that men are better at pushing themselves forward than women are. I've never suffered from that. You know, like at universities, men ask, I mean, I'm always the one who asks questions and I'm quite, I'm quite bullshy in that. So I, it's not something I can relate to, but that's the theory anyway, isn't it? Yeah, I thought when you said that, I thought you meant as in, because, um, uh, yeah, for me, I don't, I don't, I don't have many uh, female friends who aren't good at pushing themselves yeah. forward. But then that might just be me self-selecting. Because yes, possibly. they're the people I get on with well. Because yeah. they push me as well. Yeah. To go, oh, they've worked hard. I'll get that one as well. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'm aware that I'm in my own little echo. We all are. <laughs> and I might have just self-selected. Yes. Um, but I... Well, it's a, it's a theory that is, you know, not just in stand-up, but in, 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 in universities and colleges and education and stuff, that women don't, you know, they, they kind of take a back seat it's not something I've ever done but that is the apparent wisdom of mm. whether it's true or not I don't know I mean yeah my, my my thing is always that chicken and egg debate of you know if you put women on a show so it becomes normalized that they would be on panel mm. shows for example or or is it a case of if you do that and you put a woman on who who is not experienced in it yet same as when you put a male on who yeah, isn't yeah. experienced and they don't look as good like you said male do get more opportunities to mm. screw up that kind of or, or not do as well yeah but does it would it ever reflect i mean for me i'm always like how do you how in your mind how do how are they uh treading that line and how would you do it better if you could do it oh yes i should do it <laughs> i mean i, don't no, I mean know. if you were booking it kind of thing. if you're booking it or I if think you were setting that just up just watch a lot of comics because there's but also with male comics there's lots of male comics out there that don't get on tv mm. who are amazing you know, I recently saw Roger Monkhouse or Paul Thorne, Ian Moore, and you look at them and you think, I mean, I'm looking at them going, my God, they're fantastic. But I don't think they've, they're, you know, I don't know whether they're, I can't remember them being on panel shows. And, you you, you know, uh, Ian Stone is a fantastic comic. He recently had a TV thing. So it's not necessarily for men. It's not even the, necessarily all the, it's not like the cream always ends up on TV. Oh, no. Um, there's a lot of good comics on TV, you know, Mickey Flanagan, Lee Mack, you know, to name just two. But it's... I think it's just going out there and seeing more comics because they, they tend to use the same people again and again, as you know. Because I suppose it's easy. I mean, all promoters do that. I mean, I do that myself. You know, if I've got a gig to book, there's certain comics I'll go to first because I know they're good, I know they'll turn up, and I like them. Mm. Yeah, and when you say you like them, you mean you like them as a person or you like the yeah. material or both? Both. I mean, I, like, I find them funny and also I like them. And at the end of the day, if you're doing a gig, particularly if you've got to be in a car for three hours, you want somebody that you like, not somebody you want to throw out in the motorway, do you? No, no, matter, no matter how funny they are, at the end of the day, you want somebody who's not, not a knobhead. 
Yes. <laughs> Forget the gender. Don't be a knobhead. <laughs> Don't be a knobhead. It's always a good idea. I think that's... you know what I love is... I, I think this will be near episode 100 or just over, oh. right? And maybe over three quarters of them, at some point someone's gone, just don't be a knobhead. <laughs> but you'd be there. You'd be surprised. No, I wouldn't. I've done this long no, enough. There it's a lot just of like, you know, some people and you're like, you are serious? And, you know, it's at the end of the day, if you're going to choose between two comics, you know, they're both as funny as each other. You're going to go for the one who's, who's not the knobhead. Do you know what I love is like when someone is uh, personally a, a knobhead, not like as in professionally in a gig mm-hmm. or in a car or whatever, just does something like knobheady in, in life. Okay. Or, or, or like say, for example, you know, you were like, oh, let's just have a coffee or something. Yeah. And they're just a knobhead. And you're like, this still counts. <laughs> like just because we're not in a car. But do you know what's really weird? It's like the people that are usually really successful <clears throat> and are really nice. Generally, yeah, yeah, yeah. The ones that are really at the top. You well, meet them are generally really nice people. That that fills me with a lot of conf- like not confidence. It fills me with a lot of um, oh, what's the word? Uh, nice feelings. Right. Do you know what I mean? Because yeah, the amount of pricks I've been meeting, like not recently, but just in the last sort of year, I'm just like, oh, please. Are don't. they bitter? Are they bitter? A couple of them have been really bitter. Yes. And, and I'll That's be a danger when you do comedy. One of them's only been going like three years, and they're oh, really bitter. Up. And I'm like, what do you mean you've been overlooked? Like, oh you, my god! I, I mean, like, do not right. Can I just say there yeah, is nothing ahead. worse when you hear like somebody's been going six months who can't believe why they're not on live at Apollo. You're just like, oh, for God's sake! One person, one comic, was moaning because um, she phoned up the comedy store and she couldn't get like a five minute open spot they wanted to do the gong show and I went how long have you been going she went a year and I went well well, that's why Mm. you know if you've been three years you mean you're still starting stand up I mean you know I've heard comics who've been going 20 years who feel bitter and overlooked but that is one of the dangers of stand up and you've got to make sure I mean I I unfollow a lot of comics on Facebook so I've no I mean to be honest I'm in danger of following myself (laughs) because I don't want to know how other act comics are doing because in that way it can lead to just you going mental oh, yeah. and going bitter and you, you can't worry about other people's careers. You've just got to focus on your own. Every every Edinburgh, so like I've done four now, but every sort of June, July, I see people who are like, you know, really pushing for that newcomer award or, yeah. for, or for the best show or where, you know, you yeah, know yeah, the people. Yeah. And I've unfollowed so many people. Yeah. And then what I do is everyone I unfollow, I go on like a dog page. So like little pup, puppies so photos. Oh, my entire feed is just puppies at the moment. Because comics will film it. Go, have you seen what so and so has written on Facebook? I go, no, no, because you, yeah. you, you know, the, and business goes up and down. You've got to protect yourself as well. Yeah, and um, you know, it's irrelevant how you know. Just because someone else's career is going well doesn't mean that yours isn't or, or it won't. Or you know, careers fluctuate as well. Mm. And you know, people can be the flavour of the month. We've all seen that. Where the flavour of the month is six months in the industry, then a year later, nobody wants to know them. Mm. I've never been in that position, but so I've heard that. <laughs> We've seen it. We've heard it. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I just think bitterness is one of the things that can... I mean, comics, I think, by nature, are never satisfied. So no matter how well your career is going, you know, you could be doing live at the Apollo, you could have your own sick, whatever, you'll still want something else. And I think that's the nature of a stand-up comic, is that when... You know, because when you're an open spot, you want to be a circuit comic. You know, when you're a circuit comic, you want to do this and you want to do that. And you're never happy with what... You know, I speak to comics whose careers I think are fantastic. I'd love to have their career. And they're always moaning. So wherever you get to in this business, you're always moaning. Well, that's that's the weird thing is like I find because I've just started a mental health podcast because I've I've, I've found talking lots of comics who need mental health. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you should talk to John Ryan. I'm not, oh, okay. He does a lot of stuff with mental health. Okay, um, I will ask you for that name again yeah, at the end sure. of this. Um, although I'll hear it in edit. Shut up, Simon. <laughs> um, do you know when you forget it's being recorded? Um, uh, no, I, I've started a mental health podcast because I found it really interesting to talk to people about that sort of thing. And and like you said, yeah, it, it's it's so 
um, every time I do a project or every time I finish a, a thing that I was making, yeah. my immediate response, maybe just before I hit upload, is what now? Like literally, and it's like, yeah. hang on, take a minute and enjoy the thing you made. Have you know? But it's like you know, if you store, like you know, it's very depressing when you die. So if, I mean, I've died on various occasions. I thought you meant literally dead. No, literally, yeah, that's very depressing. But um, I have died at gigs. Yes. Yes. Um, so it's, that's always very depressing. But even when you have like a great gig, like gigs where mm. you've absolutely stormed it. And you know, and you're you're out, and you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know about you, but like half an hour later, you're like, oh. it can actually be quite even more depressing yeah. after a good, you know, when you've stormed it, because you're just like all that adrenaline. You, you know, everybody thinks you're brilliant, and then you know, you're on the bus going to get a kebab in my case, probably, you know, uh, watching 24-hour news or watching Netflix or something, or Amazon. Yeah, you see, the news would be the depressing thing in that. Not <laughs> <laughs> I have watched the 24-hour news, but you know, it's it, that was before Netflix and Amazon, but um. And it can be just as depressing. So I think as a stand-up comic, you've got that thing where you've got that adrenaline. Mm. And then it's like, okay. You know, I, I presume athletes have the same thing, but they put in more effort probably. Well, the, I don't know about you. So the thing I've noticed is, so if, I, uh, so if I've got a gig tonight, for example, I will book things in tomorrow, like in the mid-morning. Because oh. I don't want to just be wallowing if it went bad. or, or And also oh, I don't want to just be sleeping idea. in. But then, if it goes really well, I get home and I'm like, oh, I have to go to bed immediately because otherwise I won't get up in time. See, I can't get to, you, you can't get to bed immediately. I can't get to bed immediately after gigs. I've got a lot of melatonin at home. What's melatonin? It's the, um, uh, it's basically the, the hormone in your body that regulates sleep. So oh. I've got it to, to regulate my, you use, people use it for traveling a lot. Oh. So I've got it, you can't buy it in this country. I got it when I was in America last. Let's hope the drug authorities aren't listening to this. Um, no, I can't I should have sleep. told you you were in France yesterday. You could have got yourself some. <laughs> I probably could have done. Yeah. Uh, France, yeah. I, no, I can't sleep. So I'm always, I have a terrible um, sleeping pattern, like a lot of Same, comics. Yeah. So I'm always up till two, three in the morning. Even when yeah. I'm not gigging, yeah, I'll be up to three, four in the morning and then I'll go to bed. I'm naturally awake at night though. I've always been like that. Yes, yeah, so am I. And yeah. I, then I sleep during the afternoon and then the whole day's gone and then I'm like, oh, I shouldn't have really done that. Well, no, I normally have like an hour nap. If, if I haven't got work, so normally I have writing work during the day or whatever. But if I don't have that, I'll normally try and nap for an hour and then I'm fine and I can just get by by about four oh, no, or five hours sleep. See, during I can the day. sleep. I can sleep for hours during the day. Okay. I, love, I love afternoon naps. I really naps. can't sleep in the day. I don't know what it is. <gasps> Although, my current room doesn't have blinds, so I've kind of got used to sleeping with light on my face. Well, the third thing is I read a lot. So I've, I've read about 30 books this year, so I'm reading. So I'll read, on, read in bed, mm. and I'll think, oh, I'll just have a little... Just shut my eyes for a minute, and then, you know, three hours later, I wake up. <laughs> that's, uh, so the rule is not to sleep, in, not to read in bed. I think that's the rule. Yeah, I think that's the rule. I think that's what we've got from this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you learn nothing else, don't yeah. read in bed. Um, when it comes to... so so. Most gigs have their own sort of unique progression ladder or their, yeah. or their own unique um, hierarchy of where you can get booked. Where, say, for, say I'm a female comedian, yeah. right, and I'm trying to apply to, to do your gigs. Yeah. Where would I, first of all, what are the mistakes people make when they're applying? And second of all, where would you put me to start me off on that? Well, ladder? generally, if I haven't seen anybody, I put them, give them a five-minute open spot simply because my audience is, my audience can freak out audiences because it's predominantly women, which is unusual, and it's predominantly gay. And so you get people f flustering for some reason. So they'll say things like, at a, uh, in, to my audience, oh, you know, I dabbled at being a lesbian once. And I'm thinking, oh, don't say that, for goodness sake. That's not, you know, they just freak out. Or they go, they'll pretend that they watch gay porn. It's like, women don't watch gay porn. We, you know, I can imagine men might watch, you know, women getting it. Straight women don't do that. And so it's, they kind of freak out. Or they'll, they'll do stuff, particularly with new comics, they'll do gross-out material about heterosexual sex. And you're like, well, this is never going to work. <laughs> and you're like, so you, it, so I generally, if I haven't seen people, I give them five minutes for that okay. reason, because it can be quite 
painful. Do you, do you brief them before they go yeah, on like, what usually, porn people do? Usually go like, don't do gross up material because it really won't go down well. <clears throat> and you tend to be ignored. So, you know, I remember saying this, don't do gross up because it was in fashion among comics, young female comics at one point, just do really gross up material. So, like, you know, most of my women, the women in my audience are older as well. You know, we've been there, done. We're not interested. And uh, it's like, so I said, don't do gross up material. Of course, people ignore you. I remember one act, she was on first, she did gross up material. Nothing. Conversation went, well, that didn't work. And I was like, yes, that's why I told you not to do it. But, you know, people won't be told. So, and also, I, I warn them, because when you're new, you only have a few minutes of material. Yeah. So you can't really adapt to, to situations. So I warn them, so they've got time to adapt. Mm. And then generally they don't. <laughs> <laughs> and so you sit there going, well, I did tell you, but never mind. And then, and, and how many times, so say, say I did well um, yeah. at, your, at the five minutes. If you do well, like uh, Mercedes, Spencer, uh, Mercedes Spencer, I don't know if you've seen that act, it's a character act, very good act. She came in as an open spot, she did five minutes, she was great. So I gave another, I think, five minutes or something. And she did different material as well, which was, which comics, you know, you know, you know people do different jokes when they come back. And so then I gave her ten minutes and whatever, and now she headlines the, the night. Um... So, yeah, there is. It just depends if you see somebody who's very good. Like, recently I saw somebody good who I won't mention, but she was, was out of all the new acts, she was definitely the best. And then I gave her a 10-minute spot, which didn't go that well. But, you know, these things happen. But, you know, um, Lindsay Santoro, I think she did her first ever, she did her third ever gig at mine. Ripped, the, I mean, absolutely ripped it. And she's a very nice, lovely woman to work with. And so I started booking her basically on, on one spot because she was so good. She's just naturally funny. And um, she's doing quite well now. Um, and I've, uh, I book her for lots of things. Because A, she's, re- she's really funny. She's really likeable on stage. Uh, she's different. She's a really nice person to work with. What? So say, say I'd now gone to your gig. I've done the five. I've not listened. I've died. Yeah. How many chances would you give, especially a new... I mean, would you wait like a year and a half and be well, like, you need to develop another five? There's or, only or? T- two shows where I put new, like, real newcomers in. So, I, you know, if they want to do the next one, do the next one. I mean, you know, I remember one woman who, who actually got a... Because I send briefing notes, because I know as a comic, I, get, I really hate it, but I don't know where I'm going. So I send really detailed... No, I even tell them wh- which road to get down from the Strand, whatever. This girl rang me up and went, oh, I don't know where the gig is. I said, well, it's... You know, and you think, well, it's not Narnia, is it? It's on the web. You could find it. And I've given you the information. And then she, it's, no, it's on Charing Cross Road. I went, it's up Charing Cross Road. And she was at Charing Cross Station. She went, well, which way's up? And I was like, well, I mean, seriously, you're at the bottom of the road. So you can only go one way. And she did, she was all right. It wasn't great. And then she wrote to me and said, I'd like to come back with a view to paid work. And I think, thought, no. I mean, it, it depends. I keep giving people chances. And if they're good and they get better, then yeah. But, you know, they'd have to get better. <laughs> I mean, you yes. know, I'm not going to just book you because you're a woman. Mm-hmm. I have to book you because I think you're good and you, my audience will like you. Because it's a small gig. And you know, small gigs, it's, it's a lot of regular audience. Mm. You know, you can't afford to piss them off. Mm. Because, you know, you only need one or two bad nights and they'll stop coming. Oh, yeah. And it's easy to lose audience. It's a lot harder to, to, to gain them. Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, I, I run one and, and the word of mouth has managed to keep it going. Yeah, that's the same with mine because I don't really have a publicity budget. No, me either. And and what's and I even say to them, you know, if you've liked it, bring a friend. Like, you know, just, you know, see yeah. what you can do. I mean, you know, do early bird tickets, all that kind of stuff. And some comics don't in. really, like, all comics think they're entitled to, to do the gig. Yes. That's a very comic idea that you're entitled to do any gig. Yeah. We should be doing that gig. Why aren't you booking me, you that, know, whatever. And that's not a gendered thing. Either. No, that's no, just... that's male and female. Yeah, yeah. That is the, And so you get comics who, who do your gig and then they, obviously my gigs are really small. Then, then you know, they're really at the bottom of the rung and, you know, you're not going to, people aren't going to go, oh my God, you did my comedy. Um, so it's the small gigs. But like somebody like Zoe Lyons, who's a professional, 
you know, who could work anywhere. You know, she'll do it and she's very professional and she'll perform and she'll give a good show. But I've had comics who aren't really, they haven't got any bums on the seat where Zoe will fill the room for me. They've got no bums on the seats and they treat it and they go, well, this is better than this. And they really don't give a shit about the gig. Mm. And it's really annoying. It's like, if you don't want to do the gig, that's fine. Don't do it, but don't come and then not give a shit. Because the audience can tell and it reflects badly on you. And that's annoying. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. They won't get booked again. <laughs> I always have slightly more respect for a comedian if I know they've even once tried to run a gig that isn't just their, you know, it's, like a, sele- it's, a, it's a selection show. Mm. Because I just think you don't understand how... How much work it is. Yeah. And it's not the same as, oh, I put on an Edinburgh show, I fly it and I got people in. That, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying you weren't on, you ran it you got people in the door to watch a group yeah. of people that you like. People don't realise how much work it is. And obviously it's that thing when you, like, say you sold out, it's, <clears> a great, and it's a great show, and then you're back to square one the next day because oh, yeah. you've got to resell for the next month. And people don't appreciate it. And that's another thing I, I kind of get annoyed about. I had some woman write to me once and go, it'd be logical for you to book me. I was like, well, it's not logical for me to book you. Unless you're Joe Brand, then it would be very logical for me to book you. But, um, you know, it's not it's logical that you might want me to book you. Mm. Um, but it's that attitude that, you know, you, like, what do you mean you you're not going to give me a gig? And it, it's it's not obligatory. We Nobody has to book you. Have, have you ever booked a gig that's a mixed gender, essentially? Oh, yeah, yeah, I've done that quite You've a bit. You've done that. So do you find women who email in for the women-only gig mm. feel more entitled to get on that one because of it's their gender? It's a woman-only. They might do, yeah. But, I mean, all that, all that, you know, I won't book them for 20s. But the thing is, not all women, can, not all acts can play all gigs. Yeah, you know, so it, you might be a very good female comic, but you not, might not be right f- for my audience. You know, that's just the situ- you know that's just the situation that it is, and or I might not like you, so I don't want to, I don't want to book you. So there is, I suppose that there is because an old female comic. The assumption is that you should be perhaps you should be booked on it. So that might be a yeah, that might be an idea. But that's, but you know, it's wrong. Yeah, <laughs> I think I don't know. It, it's. First of all, there's no such thing as an all-male line-up gig. I mean, there well, is. Well, there, there was 
de facto there were. But you know what I mean? There's none that have said, we just don't put women kind of... I mean, yeah. well... Well, de facto, yeah, you know what I mean? You officially. Know, yeah, I mean... I, I mean, that is changing now anyway, but yes, uh, but back in the day, I mean, you know, I had somebody once write, oh, you know, it's not on, but you think, well, if you look at all the, uh, you know, it's all women, I would never do one that's the same sex. You think, but you, you do that all the time. Like, mm. you know, a lot of... Lot, it's, it's changing now, but a, back in the day, a lot of the lineups were all men. I, predominantly all men. If there was an all-male gig, as in, like, someone said, that, like, women and all women gig, if there was an all-male gig, I don't think... It depends on why it was run. Yeah, you'd probably uh, just still get them ever... for, like, for rugby, rugby, like a rugby comedy night or an army comedy night. I mean, I have done army nights. But a lot of the army nights used to be all men, mm. you know, because probably it was a very male environment. So you suppose you do get... You get Asian nights, you get the black comedy nights. You know, you have people complaining about that. But, you know, black comedy nights are very different from the mainstream. And they, you know, um, you know, they, they appeal to a certain audience among, you know, none of my black friends actually go to black comedy nights, funny enough, but they, they do appeal to a certain audience. Um, and there's no reason why they should, and the, 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 the line is predominantly black. I mean, I, I perform with them. There are some white acts that perform. So it's not like they don't have white people in, on the bills. But, you know, there's a, there's a limited amount of white acts that can actually perform on those, at those nights. Yeah, I, th- I think it's key for most people to realise that just because you can't play a club doesn't mean you're bad. No, it just means you're not right for the club. Yeah. And there's, uh, you know, um, you know, like uh, Zoe Lyons was a really great night at Bent Double, which is predominantly gay. So, but she, you know, she has a limit to certain acts, just won't appeal to a, to that audience and that's just the way it is. Hmm. It's nothing to, you know, because, you know, the, no, very few acts everybody likes. So there's will be things about my personality or my acts that will annoy the hell out of people. But they're the very things that other people will like about it. Yeah. And that's just the way it is. You know, I don't think I'd probably go down very well in a very... At the Tory party conference, say. I, I don't think I'd have a great gig. You, well, you don't know that. <laughs> the pro- I don't think the Taliban would like me either, to be I honest. Like, I don't think that, that would go down well either. I like the way you're like, I don't research things, but I'm not doing that Tory... <laughs> I'm not, I'm not doing the Taliban tour. I'm not doing the, uh, I've been offered a corporate with Al-Qaeda. Mm. But you know what comics are like, but if you offered enough money, you'd probably go, oh, all right then. Well, the, <laughs> this is the interesting thing. It's like, okay, so you are a pro, and I don't know how you feel about this, but I personally feel you are a product of the gigs you do. I feel yeah. like you, you kind of start to tailor yourself, especially on the circuit. Mm. You start to tailor your material a bit for the gig because yeah. you kind of need the money and so you need it to work every time. And mm. like you said, if you do well and you li- are liked by the promoter, you'll get booked again. Yeah. It just makes business sense for a circuit comedian. So I wondered if you thought about the impact on um, people performing gigs with this kind of audiences you bring in mm. and whether that has adjusted positively or negatively the way that they might have, have performed for other clubs and the sort of knock-on effect of that. Wow. Do you want to repeat that question? That's quite a good question. <laughs> Very good question. I'm not sure I can answer it. So the fact that they've performed at my gigs, how that affects where yeah. they perform elsewhere. Yeah, because not everyone's going to write a new 20 for every single no, club. I mean, that, no, that's true. I mean, like, I've got certain jokes that I do at the black, on the black circuit that I don't do in mainstream because mainstream just wouldn't understand them. Mm. Um, you know, and it's, you know, just, it's just the way it is. You know, oh, I'll do certain gigs. I'll do certain jokes, say, if there's a predominantly gay audience that I wouldn't probably do. I don't know, is that true? Yeah, probably is true. It, it, it's kind of funny because, you know, if you're, if you're, um, if you, if you've got like a gay audience, you can make more jokes about gay people, a predominantly gay audience that you can't in a non-gay audience because people get all, all like, you can make jokes about different races if the audience is predominantly black that you can't in front of like a predominantly white audience, but if they're middle class because they get very upset and they think it's racist. And so it's very weird because you, 
I'm quite like on the gay circuit and the black circuit I'm quite bullshit and loud and I know it's hard to believe and quite big act but I think sometimes I'm, when it's a very middle class audience I've got to kind of rein that in a bit because they just don't know what the hell they, they see in front of them mm. so you sometimes you have to kind of you know and like I remember when I first did Berlin I, I gig abroad a lot and you know in Britain you kind of like you own the stage don't you, you own the stage because nobody's going to talk like nobody talks when I'm on stage and you're, you, you, play, you used to play like quite rough gigs and I went on to Berlin and the audience have been there an hour early because they're German, so they get there early. Uh, none of them are drunk. They're all sitting at tables. They're all very polite. And I went to be really aggressive, you know, like not aggressive, but went to take control of the stage. I thought, I don't really need to do that because you, you didn't have that vibe because nobody's going to get pissed. Mm. You know, it's, um, yeah, I suppose it's learned to play the room, which is the, the strength, I think, of British comedy, is that as a, as a British comic, you play so many different ones that you learn. You know, when you're an open mic night and you do all these horrible gigs where you want to think you know is there any point living really you do all these terrible gigs in front of other stand-up comics who are bored because they've seen your set hundreds of times before you actually do learn that and i think that's the strength of a british comic is to be able to play the room you can play so many different rooms mm. i the only thing that annoys me about that is when a comedian says i want to be able to play every room and you're like you'll never get booked for every room so what's the point no you you know i mean obviously i mean i think if you can play as many different rooms as possible yeah yeah yeah. i mean i've done christian nights uh you know i've done really rough gigs in manchester uh, liverpool you know uh gay nights i do the, the urban comedy circuit you know the more you can play the more more money you can make but yeah that's not you're not going to be right for every gig mm. and that's just the way it is yeah when it uh, so like you said it's you said it was quite um, you didn't say it like this but you said it's basically quite communal and it's quite nice to to meet other female comedians yeah. and and to socialise in a yeah. way that you might not have been able to yeah. do on other gigs when they weren't booking. Yeah. Them. Do you ever think that um, and again, devil, don't forget. <laughs> I've got to keep making. I'm gonna. It's fine. It's fine. Um, do you ever think that um, that? Is having because, for example, there's there's uh, now a whole uh, a woman in comedy festival. Yep. There's a bursary. She's run by Hazel. Yeah. Keith. Um, there was a bursary for uh, women this year for Edinburgh. I don't know if you saw that. By the no, way. No, I, like, oh, I might look it up. Yeah, the, <laughs> the ninety nine club. It was talking. Uh, they gave I think it was five hundred pounds wow. to the winner to like put towards their Edinburgh, Edinburgh show and stuff like that. Do you, do you ever find that 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 kind of thing might lead to a bit of a split between? You know the the genders of going. Well, hang on. How come? How come they're getting that treatment? Yeah, exactly. Do you know what? it is weird because I um I have had I've heard uh, you know I know things are changing because I've had white male comics complain about how difficult it is for like the, I remember the first guy who told me this was hilarious because <laughs> I I thought he was joking. It's really difficult if you're a white male middle class comic and I laughed because I thought he was joking and he was yeah. deadly serious. And I remember another white male comic. Yeah, we're not all the same, which is true. Not all the same. But, you know, women had that for this, you know, I had the thing that, oh, women all, do we do all the same material, we're all the same, and you're like, you've got to be kidding me, because I run all female nights, I'm going split to my, slip my wrists of that being the case. Mm. So I think the things are changing, and things are, yeah, and I th- I think that kind of, it, I suppose it's, it's called, is it, uh, that kind of assumption that, you know, if you're white and male, that this is good, these doors are going to open, that is kind of changing. And that people don't like that. I would, I can understand. I've had lots of comics moan that it's not fair, and uh, not lots, but a few uh, moan and, and that it's all, che- you know, they don't really like, and it's not fair, and it should be on t- based on talent, which is true. It should be based on talent. But um, yeah, I think it does myth people. Yes. <laughs> well, but we kind of, th- I think women comics and and uh, BME co- uh, comics just think, well, welcome to our world, mate. <laughs> When <clears throat> Can I just say, though, I think the biggest supporters of female comics are male comics, good male mm. comics. 
uh, because I think most comics are snobs. So most comics are attracted to good comedy and comics don't really give a shit who's saying it, whether it's a man or a woman. And so if you're a good comic, male comics, good ones, uh, ones who aren't that good get very insecure about uh, around good female comics. But good male comics are probably the most supportive people of female comics because they want you to do well because they like your comedy. Mm. So I would say I've always had great support from, from good comics. I've been patronised by mediocre ones, but... Uh, all the really good comics, like the comics you look at and you think you're bloody great, um, they're all very supportive. I Here's the thing. So if I'm at a gig and someone, gender, doesn't matter, mm. is on stage and says, you know, ah, oh, uh, something that's amazing, mm. I do have that moment where I go, oh, fuck you. But then a second later I go, I'm going to tell them how good that was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It don't, I, I don't, uh, you know, I can't imagine being in a situation where, you know, I would be like, do you know what I mean? Like, it, it doesn't make any sense why you wouldn't want that person to write something even better. Because for me, it's... it's um, I was talking to Robin Ince about this a little mm. while ago. For me and him, it's both um, imagination um, envy. Like, mm. oh, I couldn't have written that. Do you know? See, I really... I love it when I hear a joke. I think, oh, I wish I'd written that. Yeah. You know, like, Angie McAvoy, who doesn't do comedy anymore, who was a brilliant, brilliant comic, uh, great MC, great joke writer. She's wrote a couple of jokes where I was sitting there going... Because they like when you say them, you think, "Oh yeah, that's so." It seems so obvious mm. once they've said them. I so wish I'd written that. Mm. So wish I'd written that. And I love, I love hearing that when you see jokes where you just think, because oh. you know, as a comic, you're probably often you're trying to figure out what the punchline is, aren't you? Yeah. And then you know, which is terrible, but you're like going, oh, no, no, no. and then when they do something that's so left field, you're like, oh, that is brilliant. Like, I love Lee Mack. I love watching Lee Mack because he's so quick. Mm. You know, I love. Uh, would I lie to you? It's the only panel show I watch. I don't watch any of the other panel shows, to be fair. But um, he's just fantastic because I'd love to be as quick as him. Mm. He's just like say something. And he's got a joke like that. Mm. Do you uh, the, the Women in Comedy Festival? Mm. Um, what What are your thoughts and feelings on having a specific festival? for female comedians is I mean is that a result of I mean I assume you know Hazel quite well yeah. as a result is that a result of you know women not getting booked in other festivals or just in yeah, I, see, I, yeah I don't know I, I, I don't really know I think Hazel just wanted to promote women and it's a very good idea I've only I did one gig there it was like a not my own show but it was like a part of a it was like the final show for the first year and so it's a way I think of promoting women and it just gets publicity but then the assumption also the assumption is look there's misogyny in the world, misogyny in comedy. The danger is you can't always assume that you're not you're not getting that gig or you're not getting on because it's misogynists. It could be other reasons, yeah. you know. And I think the danger is then to assume that oh, I haven't I haven't got on TV because it's misogyny. It might be because you you know you're not that well known or you're not that well established or you're not that funny. It's mm. not. And I think the danger is if you always assume it's misogyny or if you always assume it's your race, the danger is then it's a kind of self fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. And I. You know, I um, you know, I, somebody wrote to me recently. They you know they didn't couldn't get their show into a theatre, and they wanted me to write a piece about how misogynist the theatre is. And I was thinking, well, which I refuse, because also nobody knows who that person was, and it might not be because you're, it might not be because it's a woman. It's because they want bums on seats. Nobody knows who you are. If it was Caitlin Moran say, saying, look, I want to do a show, or Bridget Christie, or Shazzy Mers, you know, Zoe Lyon, somebody that could, or Sarah Millican. I mean, they wouldn't have rejected Sarah Millican because they know they could sell out like that. Mm. And so it's like, it might not be because you're a woman. It mm. might be because nobody knows who you are. And so that's the danger. That, and I think often you get with some female comics, it's the, it's the ones who aren't that great who seem to complain the most about misogyny. And it's like, that might not be the reason why you're not getting on. Oh, yeah. 
you know it's not always to do with the fact that you're a woman it's to do with you could have come up with the goods because the one thing about comedy unlike say the music businesses you know you could be young you can be pretty you can be attractive you might not be able to sing you can still have a singing career mm. right we know examples of that in comedy you have to be funny mm-hmm. no one's going to give you 20 minutes at the comedy store because you look pretty you know that is never well perhaps the don's changed but that's never going to happen or at the glee you know mm. or banana cabaret wherever you you know whatever mm. you is your club a choice to stand you have to be funny yeah and i think sometimes you know there is misogyny of course there is it's 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 part and parcel women are misogynist you know it's a part and parcel of you know i i've seen male comics be misogynist and women are laughing either they're not aware or that it's that i think that's kind of thing in society that women kind of join in because they they feel like they're they're safe by doing so that's another topic but um you know it's not always misogyny you know and i your career isn't getting anywhere or it's not getting as far as you'd like it I think it's a. It's like when men say oh, I'm in the friend zone. I'm like, no, you're in that because you believe that's a. Do you know what I mean? Like that's. Do you not see that that's a self fulfilling? Some, yeah, I yeah. think yeah. We, I, I, I think in a way we all kind of self fulfill it. So you know, yeah. I like I hate phoning, phoning promoters. I'd yeah. rather die on stage than phone a promoter. I mean, seriously, <laughs> and I put it off for months, and then you phone a promoter and they're really nice, and you're like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you, you know, you kind of get really angry about it. You're like, Ooh. how dare you? How dare you be really nice to me? Oh, you are going to give me a gig. Oh, okay. I'm really glad I put that off for three months. Um, but you know, in a way, that can be self fulfilling because if you assume that people aren't going to book you, mm. you kind of then take that, you know, and you you kind of make it happen, I suppose, in a way. Yeah, I mean, I I've seen that recently. A few female comedians posting stuff like that online where they've gone, oh, it's uh, oh, it's, it's to do with this or it's to do with that or, or whatever, and you're like, yeah. I don't like it. Might be. Definitely might be. I'm not ruling it out. But it but may not be. But it may not be. And from what you're saying, it sounds like maybe ask. Like because it could be a case of, and I, I don't know how many how many promoters would admit this, but I suppose if you didn't book someone and they said, oh, out of interest, I've emailed a few times, you've not booked me. Yeah. Can I have some feedback? I'm assuming. I mean, you'd be tactful about it. I don't know if I'd be as tactful as I should be, but <clears throat> yeah, I, yeah. I think most promoters, I mean, I don't think most promoters would say, you're a woman, we didn't book you for yeah, that. Yeah, they wouldn't be stupid enough to say that. Though, I, I mean, I had but, that once in a, mm-hmm. in a quite well-known club where I asked, you know, I'd done really well and blah, 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 and I saw, could I get paid work? And went, oh, we booked six women, three of them aren't funny, so we can't book anymore. And you're like... Oh, is, that, is that really the way that works? Yeah, I was like, okay, fine. Well, then don't book one of the three that aren't funny, then book me. But anyway, that didn't yeah, happen. Yeah. Well, that was the most famous thing. <clears throat> most famous one of those was Jeff Whiting's uh, Merv Control thing with Jenny Collier. Oh, yes. Yeah, the thing that sort of went a bit a bit madly viral, if yeah. I'm honest, where um, she just got an email saying, you know, the, the, the venue doesn't want any more uh, female Women. comedian. Yeah, and and uh, I mean, I spoke to Jeff about it, and and he explained that it sh- he shouldn't have been gone out, and B, it was the venue's choice to do that, and he did push back on it. But it's also, you know, wh- wh- where do you where do you go? I mean, that wasn't even that long ago. No, but you know, that probably was, you know, that probably was the case. The venue was going, oh no, there's too many women on the bill. I mean, that, you know, I suppose in that case, Jeff should probably, probably been a bit dishonest. But I mean, I know somebody who. There was an anti-racist lineup for you know against racism comedy night, and there were no black comics on the bill. Amazing. And this friend is a black comic, <laughs> and he said, "Oh, can I go on the bill?" And I went, "Oh no, we're full." And like it was just like it was hilarious. It was yeah. all white people on the bill, and you're like, we, "We're the problem. We'll solve it." <laughs> <laughs> we don't need. We don't. Yeah, we don't need other people Sorry, to solve I, it. I, we'll, I, we'll solve it. And, I, I and it was quite funny in a way. It was just like that's hilarious. I do that joke on stage about that where I go, I'll, I'll help out a feminine. I'm the problem. I'll definitely need to get involved. You know, in you're just like, yeah, just leave, leave it to us, comment. ladies. Yeah. yeah, it's such a flippant comment, but like, after, like, there's always one woman in the room. It, it, the first time I did it, I remember I, the reason I wasn't working, or it was working, but I, the reason it was wrong was I got the phraseology of it wrong. And a female comedian who's a very good friend said to me, 
change that bit. Just like flip yeah. those words and it will work better. And also, because you don't come off going, I'm going to help women. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. The idea of it was just a stupid thing like, you know, we'll, we'll yeah. help sort of thing. And, and I've done it ever since like that. And I've gone, oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> because, because I would have never, because of my stupid 30 years of being yeah. a man, I would have never thought of flipping that. But, some, but sometimes you do get that. I remember <clears throat> Ben Norris, another good comic. I had a punchline and he just, he just turned it a little bit and said, it'd be better if you said that. Mm. I was like, oh yeah, it would. Can I nick it? And he went, yeah. So I mean, comics yeah. do that all the time. Yeah, yeah. I, that, that's the reason why. I and mean, it wasn't the reason why I started making female comedian friends. But that's the reason why I like having female comedian friends. Because sometimes you write a joke and, and they'll just sort of go, from my point of view, just so you're aware, what you're saying does come off like this. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it's really like helpful to have that. Uh, like, yeah I mean do, do you ever get that I mean uh, the other way around where a male comedian will go love the joke but just to let you know this no but then I suppose I'm not as approachable as you um. <laughs> <laughs> I'm approachable <laughs> that's going on a poster um, yeah approachable, <laughs> approachable. When you're younger. oh you're bad to sell tickets um, <laughs> no I, I don't I mean obviously like, there's times when I've you know you've judged it wrong Mm. And you find out from the audience that you're like, they don't like what you're saying. Mm. I think I have sometimes put the back up of some male audience members just because of my personality, to be honest. I mean, I remember one guy, didn't, as soon as I walked on, he turned around and he, and he crossed his arms. So he obviously didn't like the fact that I was going to come on stage. I don't think he'd seen me before, by the way. Um, and then he tried to um, heckle. But I, I mean, I've got a loud voice. I had a mic, so I just talked over him. I didn't, even, didn't talk to him, I just talked over him. And he got really, I mean, he was clearly getting more and more annoyed because he couldn't get a word in. I ignored him and I just carried on doing my set. And I don't think that went down well. <laughs> but no, I haven't had anybody really, no. <laughs> no, I wondered if it, I mean, I obviously do it for my friends and stuff, if they say, oh, can you hang around and give me some feedback on this or whatever. Yeah, but I mean. I wouldn't, I don't I, know. As a rule, I don't think comics generally give feedback, unless they're really good co- friends, they don't I, really give feedback, do I they? I get quite unsolicited feedback oh, quite a lot. Oh, do you? Yeah. But then, but then the thing is, I feel like I put myself in a position where, you know, I, 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 run, I run the collective, I run sort of individual groups for okay. comedy, I do this, and I, and I have pretty much said to anyone, if you've got something constructive to say, yeah. I'm pretty much happy to hear it. So, so a lot of the I did a gig the other day with someone I've never met before and they literally came up to me afterwards and just went I've got some notes if you want to hear them and I was like okay that's good. See you're good because that really pissed me off I think and that's like obviously they're very good comics you know when Ben Norris came up I was quite happy to take advice from him but um well no I'd never seen them and I had to I was going to go on the break so because I had to dash off to another gig so I'd still never seen them and I was like all right I'll take what you're going to say. that would no I'd, I'd, I'd probably you know what I'd pretend to take notice of what they're saying (laughs) and completely ignore it that's probably what I would do. I with someone like that, I'd listen, but I don't necessarily take it on board because I haven't seen them. Yeah. If I, if I respected them and thought they were funny, in the same way I would like to be funny or in the same sort of guise, yeah. I, I would listen. But if I've not seen them, I, I'll listen, but it doesn't necessarily... I mean, you know, obviously, if like it's a comic that you you, oh, you yeah. appreciate and you think it's a very good comic and they come up and say something, you're like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But I think as a rule, comics tend to be quite wary about giving advice to other comedians. I think unless they're really good friends. Mm. Um, I had a f- friend once who's... who's his boyfriend, she wanted to bri- I was doing one woman's show and she said, oh, my boyfriend wants to come. He's not right. He works at the call centre. Mm-hmm. She went, he wants to come and give you notes. Is that all right? And I went, no, it's not fucking all right. Uh-huh. I don't feel like to swear. I was like, no, it's not well, all right. Well, no, but that's, that's not someone in the industry. I'm yeah. talking about if, if it's an audience member who's oh, seen me a few times, yeah. I'll definitely talk to them about it because I feel like they know me a bit better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if it's someone who's just come for the first time, I don't know, last night there was someone who came up to me and said, genuinely, um, I understand, literally they said, loved it. I 
understand uh, the government's taxation policy, and I feel like not enough comedians are talking about it. It would have been great if you'd done some on that. And I was like, what are you on? What are you talking about? Maybe a reason why. Maybe a reason why comics aren't doing that. I mean, yeah, you get things like. I mean, I was like, were you sitting there thinking, I've got to tell about this? I remember this woman. I I was doing a. uh, It was on the urban comedy circuit. I was headlining. The woman said to me, "Oh, she goes, uh, what did she say? She said something like." Like I said, oh, I do this, and she was asking me what jokes to do. I said, oh, then she goes, oh, yeah, you need to set up for that. And I went, yeah, I have done this before. I mean, I was headlining. It was like, I do know. Mm. I do know. And then I did the gig, and she was like, oh, yeah, I can see. She, like, she knew nothing about it. She'd been on a course. I mean, that was, oh, that was it. I once did a charity gig where a guy was writing notes. And then I thought, oh, he must be a reviewer. And then he, came, he took me aside and started giving me feedback. I said, what? Well, He'd been on a intensive two-week comedy course <laughs> and was giving me notes. And he started with, "Oh, you're not, you're not like the first comic. He, his jokes were really intelligent." <laughs> Amazing. And then he wanted to know how much I was getting paid. I went, "It's none of your business." He went, "Yeah, but I'm not the tax man." I went, "Don't care. It's none of your." It's like you've done a two-week intensive course. Mm. Don't sit in the front. He was sitting in the front writing notes. Yeah, that'd be the first lesson they should teach them: <laughs> comedy intensive course. I was say. And then go and give, give comics feedback. Mm. So I don't care what you think. Day one, keep your opinion to yourself. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. If you're an open spot, until you've done the gig at the top, I've seen open spots come up. I remember open spot gave Steve Carlin some advice, and it's like he's a really good. If you're, I think, even if you're right, even as an open spot, even if you're right, your advice is right. I wouldn't go up to an established comic and tell them what you think, because no. I, I don't think it'd be appreciated. Even if you're right, it might even make it more worse. <laughs> it would, yeah. I mean, <laughs> might be more irritating. I. I like it because it hits my ego in a good way. Because I tend to, I, I tend to be in a place where, um, if someone, if say for example, if someone's, I don't want to say lower on the pecking order, but yeah. if someone's an open mic or something like that, and I would say on and off, I can be open micy because you know you got to try stuff out. So you know, but if someone who's done like ten gigs comes up to me and says something, and I think you are actually really right, I hate the reaction I have because every time I go internally, I go fuck you. But I do walk away from it and go, you know what? It, I, why? Why am I saying that? Because mm. that's you know th- that's helpful. They're being helpful. They're yeah. being nice. Even if you know if ten people give me like advice that's shit, and then that one person does that, yeah. I, I like that that I get the and and for me as as a white man, I've got to listen more and I've got to take in more things and I know I've got to do that. Oh, more. you poor so for me, thing. No, for me, I do have to do that because otherwise I don't get that perspective and it's not it's it's harder yeah. for me to to mock things without having a perspective that isn't just mine yeah 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 so i know what you mean Mm. okay um i was gonna ask really quickly about um uh the so because there's sort of unofficially all male comedian lineups Mm. and obviously you work in sort of uh, all female lineups Mm. and i wonder what you thought about that contributing to potentially uh binary looks in gender and whether there are other gigs, for example, um, would you book trans comedians? Or oh yeah, you... we book. Well, if okay. it's a trans woman, then she's a woman. So yeah, yeah, I book them all the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, Bethany Black, Deborah Jane Appleby, they're yeah, yeah. very funny comics. Mm. So to me, they're just women. So I wouldn't. Yeah. You know. I know sometimes I think in the past it's been an issue with certain prides; they didn't want trans people. Right. But but you know, as far as I'm concerned, if you're a woman, then if you consider yourself a woman, you are a woman. You're trans woman or cis woman, you're a woman, so book you. Yeah. That's oh, not an issue. Do you know of any non-binary gigs, for example? Or like oh. Book? Are there any non-binary comics? Um, I think there are a couple, but not a massive... Not well, a, you like, would be able to make a monthly night out of it, would you? <laughs> <laughs> no, I just... I wonder... It'd be an annual event at most. Yeah, I just wondered if there... Because that's probably something else that maybe hasn't been covered enough where... Because, 
you know, as, as women are coming through and as women are, are becoming more normalised, uh, like mm. you said, when you started 12 years ago. Yeah, it's definitely, now, definitely more normalised yeah. now. So I wondered if, I mean, obviously, if you're not talking about being trans and you and you present as a woman, it, it, people would just assume woman kind of thing. So I wondered yeah, if Yeah, because like, I think um, Deborah Jane Appleby only talks about being a trans right towards the end. Yeah. So people don't, you know... And why should and I don't think she needs to talk about it at all if she doesn't want yeah. to. Oh no no no. Um, it's like you know, les, you know sometimes um, you know like Jen Brister got uh, one of her, her reviews. Somebody wrote an enthusiastic lesbian. It's like I mean well, you know that's probably something she put on a dating profile. It's not really mm. in a review. And why sh- you know why should she talk about being lesbian or why should you know black comics talk about being black? I mean you should be able to talk about whatever you like. I mm. think. Um, so, uh, you know, I think Bethany, does Bethany, I think Bethany does talk about being trans. But, you know, they've got so much more material, and they're such great comics, both of them, mm. that uh, they talk about a wealth of things. Why shouldn't they? Yeah, yeah. Um, these are the quick fire last questions. Okay. So um, take as long as you like, although I am aware that probably the new next guest has just arrived. What? Um, I know. Um, so uh, what do you think is the biggest com- uh, what do you think is the biggest problem in the comedy industry, and how would you go about solving it? What is the, I think the fact that... Uh, the money's going down, or it's staying the same. There's too many free gigs. There should be free gigs where professional comics are performing on Fridays and Saturdays. Um, I think the problem is there's less work than there was. There's more comics, so it's less work, more comics. You know, laws of demand and supply, economics. I'm sure your government friend could, could give you advice on that. I'm well so, up on it right now. Well up on it. <laughs> so that's, that's, I think that's the problem, is that because there's so many comics that certain promoters are taking advantage of that understandably and you know you're you're either getting less money or you're getting the same money as you were years back and so in in, in terms it's it's less so i think the circuit is shrinking um it can be an advantage because it, then it means that you you think of other things what to do but i think that's the problem and also another problem is that people just want tv names which you can understand in a way because you know they, they know that you know they take a chance sometimes on nights and then comedy subjective blah 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 but there's so many good circuit comics out there that people don't know about and it's like you see really good bills and people are struggling to, to get people bums on seats and you look at that bill and it's a comment you're going that is a bloody even i would go to that mm. do you as a promoter mm. do you find because i've spoken to promoters who've said if i book this middle class white guy mm. from, from tv it doesn't really have a trickle down effect for ticket sales do you find a female oh, okay. from tv has more of an impact because they're more memorable maybe on TV or, or whatever reason? Well, I think for my circuit, like, say if I, vote, if I book Zoe Lyons, that'll sell out. And, it's not, and she does do TV, but that's because she's known among, you know, my audience, as, and she's a very good comic. I mean, she's one of the best in Britain. Um, she's known, she's really known, she's popular, and she's very good. You know, if I book Barbara Nice in the Midlands, that will always sell out. I don't know if you know Barbara Nice. Know Barbara, uh, yeah. Brilliant comic. will always sell out. So it's it's... I think certain comics, they're not because they've been on TV, it's because they're kind of known within my audiences. You know, Jen Brister will sell. It's, 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 and Jen Brister hasn't been on TV yet. Um, she should be. She's brilliant. She's one of the best, in, I think, in the country. But she's also a friend, but she's also very good. I'm not just saying that because she's a friend of mine. But I think it's certain comics are, are, are popular among my audience, and so they will go to that. Mm. Um, and I think you can't really run a night based on famous names. Mm. Because it, it's just not, it's just, you just can't do that every week or every month. It just, it just isn't. People have got to buy into the night. They've got to like the night and buy into the night, and that's a difficult thing, mm. particularly if you're starting up now. But it is hard. If you had one bit of advice that you could go back and give yourself when you first started in comedy, what would it be? It would be to 
gig more and write more. I made the mistake. I think a lot of comics do. I, you know, when you first start, you're always a slightly deluded. You think you're better than you are, aren't you? And then you get to about two years and you go, oh, I'm not actually as good as I think I am. And then you either get better, stay the same or leave. And I think, you know, I got to the stage where I had like a really good 15 minutes as an open spot. So I thought I was fantastic. And I stopped writing. And I think it is, you just got to carry on, keep on writing and, and turning over your material. That's why I like about Jen Brister. She turns over her material. It's frightening how quickly she turns over her material. And it's all good. Mm. It's really annoying. So yeah, gig more and write more. Keep on writing. Great. All right. Well, thank you very much for thank coming. Thank you. Yeah. That was Maureen. I love that. I thought that was honestly so interesting. I, I obviously listened to it over in the edit and in the proof listen and stuff. And I hope everyone got as much out of that as I did. For me, I found that really eye opening. I've actually got a quite big comedian who does the black circuit quite a lot coming on to have a discussion about that as well because obviously that's another type of gig that I haven't done although black gigs do take on white comedians as well so I could do it I just haven't yet Um, so that'll be an interesting discussion from my point of view but also hopefully from your point of view if you enjoyed this please do tweet Maureen and say thank you very much for giving up her time and for being so readily honest with her answers and her experiences Um, you can you can find her links in the show notes Uh, also if you'd like to tweet me and say thanks i'm in the show notes as well i'm this made me cool thank you very much for listening everyone i really appreciate this as always if you would like to give us a review in itunes it would be greatly appreciated if you don't want to do that but you want to help out please share the podcast with someone that you think will get some value out of it if you don't want to do that please join the facebook group it's the best place to ask the guest questions before they come on so you can ask them anything that you're interested in through my mouthpiece If you've got some money to spare, please do consider giving me a donation via PayPal or Patreon. No donation is too big or too small. I know Christmas just happened, but it was also my birthday in December, so if you fancy giving me a late birthday present or a very, very early birthday present, if you're thinking about it for this year, I would really appreciate that. No donation is too small or too big. I would really, honestly, your donations keep this thing going. So if you've got some money, please do donate. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much for subscribing. And thank you very much for donating if you do. Oh, before I go, I am doing some tour dates at the end of January that are the last couple of ones that I'm doing for the current show, which is Laughter is the Best Placebo. I've got one in Dundee and I've got one in Aberdeen. Dundee is on the 27th and the Aberdeen one's on the 28th. If you are in the area or you're able to get to that area, please come. All the details are on my website or in the show notes before i forget our first ever day of panels is coming up on the 17th of february it's from midday till 5 p.m and it's at the bill murray in angel it's specifically for people who are doing their first hour at the edinburgh festival or who are looking at going up and doing their first show at the edinburgh festival personally i think a lot of people are going to get a lot out of this and it's going to provide a lot of answers and debunk a lot of myths come down with your questions there'll be three panels there'll be one that includes a bunch of venue owners where you can ask them stuff about how they run how they operate how to know what room to pick with them how to avoid pitfalls that they've seen people make time and time and time again i'm also going to have one with a bunch of prs which allow you to ask them exactly what they do for you exactly what they won't do for you exactly when to approach them how to approach them what not to do all the the stuff that you're used to with this podcast but you can ask your own questions directly and in between every panel there'll be time to mingle and chat 
It's in the Bill Murray in Angel in London. I'm sorry if you're abroad. I, I can't help the, the location of where I live. But um, as I said, it will be recorded. If you buy a ticket, you'll get a free copy of that recording. If you're a patron, you'll also get a free copy of that recording. If you want to buy a copy of that recording, it'll be on sale a few months after the day itself. So please do keep an eye out for that. Tickets are £20. There's a link in the show notes. And I'm doing it as a profit share for me and all the guests, which means that they can have a bit of money to cover their expenses like travel and food and all that stuff they're basically doing it because they believe in this podcast they believe in the event and they believe that this is a good thing to have a dialogue with people the bill murray and the angel team are really supportive as well and i actually have plans assuming this one goes well to do the same thing again but for the tv industry where i'll have a panel of tv commissioners a panel of independent producers and a panel of people who freelance in the industry who have worked in it for more than say 20 years to come down and talk about their job and talk about how you as a writer or a producer or a comedian can break into whatever area you want to. So if you want to support me, you want this to go well, please spread the word. Please tell a friend. If you can't make it, please tell someone who can. That would be really helpful. That would be really appreciated. The event is taking up a lot of my time and it's a lot of effort, but I think it's worth doing because long term, this is going to be something that I'd like to carry on doing more of where we all get a chance to network and talk in a safe and comfortable and lovely environment where it's not really as pressured as normal networking i hate networking i want to say that up front for me networking is really stressful so i like being able to just talk to people in an environment where we know why we're there but we're not like pressured into feeling like we have to talk or that i have this uh, you know it's just a nicer environment i'm trying to cultivate for people who want to quote unquote network so if you want to come it's the 17th of february it's from midday to 5 p.m if you have a look on the facebook event it'll tell you when the panels are so if you only want to come to one or two of them you can and in between them there'll be a gap of half an hour 40 minutes whatever where you can talk to people individually learn about them a bit more and talk to the people that you'll be working with hopefully for all of August say next year but also going forward I I personally work with the same people over and over and over again because I know they're decent people I know they're amazing to work with and I know they're not going to screw me over so look at this as not a short-term thing if you want that's all I'm going to say on that event but do check out the link in the in the description it's uh, got a Facebook event and a ticket link the Ask the Industry podcast is a fruit that got in gravity's way production for the internet all elements were created by me comedian Simon Kane I will see you all in about 14 days time. Bye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.